0: Zo,
1: so, you can't go! All the plants are gonna die! I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates.
0: I'll alert the media.
1: Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil! Don't touch it! The name's Pliskin. No! War! Hang on!
0: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
1: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
0: And today we'll be discussing Force Five, released July 17th, 1981. It was written by Robert Klaus, based on a screenplay by Emil Farkas and George Goldsmith, directed by Robert Klaus, and released by American Cinema Releasing. What does that mean when you base a screenplay on a screenplay?
1: (laughs) It's like, I really like this script i wrote it <laughs> <laughs> there you
0: go <laughs> that's it you just changed the cover
1: wrote <laughs> a script and i gave it to a friend who reads scripts and he says he really liked it When he thinks i need to rewrite it <laughs> i said fuck that i'll just make a copy
0: <laughs> last year american cinema releasing was responsible for the octagon and the silent scream or just silent scream the title is different in different places Reminiscent, entitled only to Fox Force Five, the pilot that Mia Wallace acted in from Pulp Fiction. What?
1: Fox Force Five. Fox is in we're a bunch of foxy chicks.
2: Force is in we're a force to be reckoned with. And five is in there's one two three four five of us.
1: Yes, this title makes no sense. Right. Especially since it's Force Colon Five. Yeah. Well, like, wait, what? I was like Force Five.
0: Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Force 5 is allegedly a loose remake of a 1976 film called Hot Potato, where a team are sent into a cult compound to collect a young woman and end up using a lot of kung fu in the process. I watched it, and I'm not sure there's enough connective tissue to consider it a remake, because there's so many movies in the genre of break into a cult, save a lady. Especially since it bears a much closer resemblance to the Fistful of Yen segment from the Kentucky Fried movie four years earlier, also starring Bong Soo Han as the leader of the underground karate cult. But Force 5 is just as much a remake of Kill and Kill Again earlier this season, and was later basically remade in 1986 as Low Blow. But this is a time-honored plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five people save a person from a place.
2: Yeah, nothing very unique here. Based on a script. Based on a
0: script, <laughs> based on another script. <laughs> The cult island in particular seems more like a fictionalization of the events of the jonestown massacre two years earlier which we discussed in our patreon review of guiana cult of the damned more than 85 martial artists were employed for force 5's 200 fight scenes the final budget of the film was three million dollars of which it earned 1.2 million back in its opening weekend. So it they probably actually
2: spent three million dollars on this movie.
0: Probably flying people.
2: <sighs> yeah, it was just the helicopter. Actually,
0: they shot largely in Los Angeles. Oh, so. Wow.
2: I don't know where they put that three million. Yeah, I don't
1: <laughs> Into my pockets, <laughs> yeah. said the director. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I deserve this for writing that script you guys wrote.
2: <laughs> it's just a money laundering plot. <laughs>
0: The distributor, American Cinema Releasing, collapsed shortly after the film's release. <laughs> oh, really? And as a result, it took its time reaching the home video market.
2: Hmm.
0: Too bad they didn't have more money. I wonder
2: what happened.
0: We open in an auditorium. A crowd dressed all in white robes are here to listen to Reverend Rhee, as played by Master Bong Su Han. He preaches to the crowd about how he will rescue his followers from damnation. Among the crowd is a bearded man who looks mildly uncomfortable.
1: It, it seems strange to base... A cult so strongly into christianity yeah no it doesn't like, well, no, well, yeah, I, okay oh, i mean jim well, jones's well, thing well, was well, extremist christianity y- yeah i guess let me rephrase it, it it seems like usually these cults are more about following some other mythical mythos Yeah. you know it's it's like you i know, think
0: in the real world when they happen they are christian sects
2: i, I actually was going to make the comment that i was like I'm actually impressed that they Mm. grounded it in Christianity. I'm like, it felt so much more real than some of these other cult movies. Yeah.
0: Suddenly, we get a sniper scope POV with a crosshair on the Reverend's face. At the back of the room, we see a very obvious assassin's scope sticking out of a window from the back wall. The guy waits a stupidly long time to take a simple shot, but he's interrupted by one of Ree's henchmen, who we'll come to know as Carl.
1: Man, he is... He is a wall. Yeah, he's like
0: he's a big guy. He's blonde and he's wearing a karate gi with a headband. Oh, What? A karate gi. <laughs> okay. Because you're not supposed to say gi by itself. Apparently, you have to say what kind of a gi it is. You can't separate it from the rest of the word in Japanese. This is what I learned on YouTube.
1: Okay. It's I before e except after gi. So, so what, it's
0: a karate gi.
2: What's a gi? It's the, what, what, I, what you wear I, when you do karate. Not allowed to say by itself. It's it's the jackety thing.
0: The jackety thing. (laughs) Jackety
1: Jack. Don't talk back. It's like a short bathrobe with pants. Okay, got it. (laughs) (laughs) Bath pants.
2: (laughs) If you can have a bathrobe, why not bath pants? These are questions
0: for someone else, not for me. I've always approved of bath pants.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, I have a bathrobe, but I never use it in the bathroom. (laughs) So
0: it's going to be so long.
1: We're talking about math pants. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <clears throat> he starts to choke out the assassin with his own gun while the congregation cheer about love in the next room. Eventually, the assassin is punched into submission. When the Reverend finishes his sermon, a curly-haired follower shouts about his love for their leader. Lead us! Lead us! Lead us! Lead us! Lead us! us! After the speech, Reverend Ree is brought to see the restrained assassin. Rhee uses precise acupuncture torture, first to paralyze the assassin and then to inflict ungodly pain, until the man admits to who hired him. The man takes a few rounds of torture before coughing up the name of William Stark. Satisfied with his answers, they release the man toward an exit, but ask him on the way out how much he was paid for this hit.
1: Ten thousand. So little. Insulting.
0: <laughs> Re kicks the man down for agreeing to such a paltry fee.
2: Would he have been let go if he was offered more money?
0: Yeah, one million dollars. Oh, that's
2: pretty good. On your way, sir. All right.
0: (laughs) Don't actually go through that door. We've got another door.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're you're at the man with a golden gun status. Yes. (laughs) They push the man
0: into a concrete hallway with a dirt floor. Ree says they should have taken more than Stark's legs when they had the chance. He pushes a button on the wall beside the door labeled Maze Gate. The escaping torturee moves through a labyrinth of concrete and finds the mangled corpse of someone he seems to recognize named Sue. The body is folded over and bloodied on the floor. The score in this hallway is giving me Danny Elfman vibes, and specifically from the Beetlejuice soundtrack.
2: I was going to say the exact same thing.
0: Coming around the next corner, he's terrified by what he sees, but we don't get to see it until later. He runs for his life and we cut to black on a blood curdling scream. We see a car pull up to a house and Mr. Becker steps out. He kind of looks like Bud Court's Bond Company Stooge from The Life Aquatic.
1: I, I I thought he looked like a little bit and sounded a little bit like Howard Hessman. Sure, yeah. Like after, The Late Howard Hessman. Yeah. We just
0: lost him a couple weeks ago.
1: Um just 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 from like the way he's balding. Yeah. He's like, oh that's that's just exactly how I'm... But
0: it's kind of the same as Bud Court's balding. Yeah. He's carrying a briefcase. He asks his driver, Bob, to wait, and he tells a woman at the door that he's here to meet with Jim Martin, as played by martial artist Joe Lewis. Becker is led by Martin out into the backyard to watch some karate exercises. Mr. Stark is on his way in a van to speak to them both. Martin whips off his shirt to replace it with a karate gi. As they continue their walk through the yard, they are attacked from all sides by Martin's students. And Martin finishes them off one at a time with punches and kicks that stop an inch in front of their faces, and then he taps their faces with his feet or his fingers in a playful manner, like I got you. <laughs> Becker is tired of the excitement, preferring a cup of coffee back at the house. When suddenly a net is dropped over him, and he has a bizarrely hard time escaping
1: it. Yeah, I, in in my defense, or in his defense, <laughs>
0: did you identify most with Mr. Becker? <laughs>
1: yeah, I was like, I was like, how come you not get out of that net? I was like. Mm, maybe I wouldn't have such an easy time either.
0: <laughs> now that I think about it, nets our tricky. Martin punches away all the students, and Martin and Becker head to a gazebo where breakfast is being served. We see Stark pull up in what looks like the EM Fifty Urban Assault Vehicle, but it's not the same make and model RV.
1: <laughs> so it's not at all the. the so it's not
0: the EM Fifty Urban Assault Vehicle.
1: Great. It it does look like all, it though. All the
0: cars in this movie are in fact are not the EM. I checked. That is true. This is the only car in this movie. It
2: was reminiscent of it. I agree.
0: There actually isn't an IMCDB listing for this movie, so my best guess based on the details I can make out is that this is a 26-foot Argosy Longmire. (laughs) <laughs> Argosies were painted airstream vans and this one has the paint job of others i've seen from 1975 but the grill looks more like the grill of an argosy compact bus
1: why would oh you gosh. paint an airstream
0: i don't know but it's apparently like, there was a whole thing in the 70s where you would paint them it's like no they're supposed to look like ufos you idiot
1: yeah like it's, I, I feel the same way whenever i see like a painted delorean yeah it's like oh why, why is, would you do this
2: you put too much effort into this sometimes no
0: i
1: don't
2: yeah
0: by the way, we've already seen an Argosy compact bus in an Airplane and the Devil in Max Devlin. Stark's chauffeur folds out some steps from the door and welcomes Martin and Becker inside. Martin is surprised to see Stark in a wheelchair. Stark fills him in on the background of this mission.
1: Reverend Ree is the leader of a worldwide church with a very large following of dedicated young people. I thought it was more of a cult. That's closer to the truth.
0: They play a video on the RV television. Re owns an island essentially as autonomous as Jim Jones' Jonestown on a patch of land they bought from the government of Guyana, Rhee's followers come from rich families and sign away their inheritances to the church. The recurring image of a bull on their uniforms is a symbol of strength and courage. In the center of Rhee's encampment is a building called the Palace of Celestial Tranquility, and it's heavily guarded around the clock. We cut from footage of the palace to a black-and-white photo of billionaire Anthony Lester and his daughter Cindy. She is one of the recent converts on Rhee's island. We cut right to Cindy on the island listening to one of Rhee's meditative talks. She and a friend seem completely hypnotized by Rhee's anti-materialism lectures.
1: Every time he speaks, it's like someone just turned a light on in my head.
2: Yes. I really got into what he said about
1: material possessions
2: and how they burden the soul.
1: The
0: girls speak excitedly about the prospect of one day being invited into the palace. They mention a friend named Sue, who was called up, and who they haven't heard from since, presumably the same Sue we saw crumpled in the maze earlier. Back in the RV, Stark tells Martin about the assassin he sent,
1: who has since disappeared. The cheap assassin I hired. <laughs>
0: yeah, ten thousand dollars really.
1: Guess he sort of splurged. <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't feel as bad if they fail.
0: That's true.
1: It's like ah, well, it was you can only send 10, five
0: then. for the price of one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to say, for ten thousand dollars, this guy got pretty close.
0: Yeah, he had plenty of time. Yeah,
1: if you just take the shot
2: yeah but this you know you wouldn't have to do it again if you just did it right the first time That's you right. know just gone a little bit higher in your uh, price point you should have
1: took that
0: shot stark also mentions that the reason he's in a wheelchair now is because some of Ree's men caught up with him and destroyed his legs which is exactly why you don't send a cheap hitman after that <laughs> stark asks how many men martin will need to reach the island and return with the billionaire's daughter and martin holds up five fingers we cut to Billy Ortega, played by martial artist Benny Orquidez, working at a poncho shop in Los Angeles when he's handed a Western Union telegram that reads simply, A job is at hand. Hurry home. Martin. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a character receive a Western Union telegram? Um. It was an invitation to a camping trip. It was also printed on yellow paper like this one is. I don't. Which maybe was a Western Union branding mm. thing. Mother's Day everybody gets telegrams at the beginning billy is so excited by the invitation that he basically quits his job by telling a customer to stick the poncho up his pachaca which as best i can tell is a reference to an area in peru presumably the source of this poncho
2: i tried so hard to look that up and i couldn't figure out i'm what i'm a not pachaca certain
0: <laughs> that's my that's my best guess the customer's wife is being played by mrs tv from Willy wonka hmm. On his way home, Billy is hassled by a group of men in suits telling him that his girlfriend's father doesn't want them to see each other anymore. Billy claims he broke it off, but the girl keeps coming back, and then a fight begins. Billy does a few cool flip moves and hands out naps to the entire team. We cut from here to Lockjaw, played by Sonny Barnes, riding a motorcycle with a big microphone and antenna on his helmet. He speaks to Martin through his helmet phone. Like Billy, Lockjaw seems to have pissed off a group of bikers pursuing him, and he leads them through a construction yard as he agrees to meet with Martin tomorrow. Eventually, Lockjaw throws down the bike and turns to face the men one on five. He takes down four effortlessly before the last one starts running, but he chases the man up a stairwell and knocks him out.
2: We collected another guy in again from a construction site, right? Yeah,
0: and it was the big black guy, too. Yeah.
1: (laughs) He definitely kills at least one of these men.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He might have killed all of them. We cut to a pool hall where Richard Norton as Ezekiel is hustling some dummies out of their cash. He's wearing a necklace with a six-pointed star, but I don't think it's a star of David. The points seem pointier.
1: <laughs> also, I don't know if he's hustling. If you're good at In pool, movies, hustling
0: just means beating somebody.
1: <laughs> yeah. like Hustling is pretending to not be good at something, yeah. but then actually being a well, really we good discussed We discussed this in Baltimore see, Bullet.
0: But we
2: don't see the beginning of this as, when they right. made the bet.
0: But if you win money at a game of pool in a movie that you are a hustler and you're about to get beat up and you're not going to
1: win the money yeah just doesn't seem fair to me <laughs> <laughs> hey doc what happened to your foot what i don't understand is when you owe bookie a lot of money and you say blows off one of your toes you still own the money
0: doesn't seem fair to me r.i.p bob saget and norm Macdonald. though he does kiss this star before taking his final shot His competitor is not amused about losing money and informs Ezekiel that the last time he got hustled, he cut the dude's tongue out. I'll
1: tell you boys something. When I win, I laugh. And when I lose, I cry.
2: But one way or the other, the money always changes
0: hands. He kicks half the pool hall to sleep before he notices that someone snatched his cash pile. One dude pulls a gun on him and he frisbees the ninja star of david into his chest
1: yeah that guy definitely uh, the the implication of this ninja star is that that it kills
0: that's murder yeah yeah
2: Yeah. but Uh, who took the money we see it do we
0: yeah yeah it's in the foreground when he's kicking some other guys you see a hand reach over the table and take all the cash i saw that oh
2: we didn't resolve this no (laughs) it's just somebody in the
0: room well there's a lot of problems with this scene actually He hulks out on some furniture to mourn the loss of his money but weirdly the scene ends without him getting any invitation from Martin to join the team.
2: Yeah, I don't the scene in general like we don't resolve like who's who spent mm-hmm. who took the money like everyone is out of the room except for like one dude who, who I, seems
0: to own the place. I would yeah. assume is the owner. Cuz he has a cigar. That and, means yeah. he owns the place. Well,
2: And he seems casually not involved. Yeah. But, yeah. but then like wh- what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Why does he make this gesture at him like yeah we're good like yeah. what yeah. no we're not i i am still owed money and i just kicked everybody's ass in here
1: uh, maybe he took the money to cover the damages and the murder the body cleanup <laughs>
0: i'm gonna take that cash and i'm gonna use it to buy a grave for this person
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I i you know again easy fix would have just been you know while you were fighting a guy called for you <laughs> like yeah. uh, have something fun for this character to do yeah
0: have him deliver the message for sure that would have been made sense but it's like klaus forgot and he was like these are just scenes introducing each of the team members right and it's like no everybody else got invited to join the force five you screwed up here we cut to Lori, played by pam huntington arriving home from a party and saying hello to a toucan and a cage on her way upstairs this looks like a very small cage for this yes. size bird mm-hmm. when she returns in a sheer robe she finds a man in a tuxedo and blindfolded in her living room.
2: Well, okay. That's so, not a blindfold. Okay, well, this, this is this is funny because the first version you procured of this movie was a VHS rip. Right. And so it was so incredibly dark that you couldn't make out half the things that you were seeing. And then you found that a there Blu-ray. was a Blu-ray that copy. That last year. Yeah, yeah that, that came out. And so we watched that instead and I when i rewatched the scene i realized that, that wasn't a blindfold i thought he was blindfolded but it totally changes like the meaning of the scene that it wasn't a blindfold yeah. is he,
0: what does he have on his head it's like a zorro yeah mask. like a zorro
2: mask there's holes where the eyes are but i couldn't tell that from the vhs copy oh i
0: thought it was a blindfold even in the blu-ray
1: you were clever enough to get in here i'll forget about it if you clear out now
0: the man approaches her and they begin to fight.
1: What does that mean, clever enough to get in here? It you means you, like you broke a window and yeah. came in like <laughs> it doesn't see you.
0: Just, is your place uh, specifically impenetrable for <laughs> some reason? Like
1: booby trapped?
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Boobies. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have to say, because she's wearing a very silky, like loose fitting robe here. Yeah that has to be taped down because it's like you know completely like I don't know it looks like
0: neck. boobs are just swinging yeah, out of it they're, every they're, once
1: in a while they're swinging all right
0: the man approaches her and they begin to fight the toucan is terrified but at first I thought it sounded like Lori was just freaking out <laughs> <laughs> Lori destroys a bunch of her own possessions in the process (laughs) until Martin calls a truce and admits that it's him as though she were the one blindfolded.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay. Hey, it's
0: me. Yeah, I know it's you, idiot. I can see you. (laughs) Just for good measure, she punches him a few more times.
2: Of course it's you.
0: (laughs) She asks him if he came here to test her, and he admits he did, but that it was stupid. She agrees to join the team under his leadership, but refuses to call him sir, and they kiss a bit. I think the only reason he was wearing a blindfold or a mask or whatever is because they didn't think that audiences would buy that Pam Huntington could beat up Joe Lewis, so he needed some kind of a disadvantage. But you're telling me he had eye holes. He did. Yeah, it was literally yeah. just the Lone Ranger mask. Yeah, it was yeah. a Lone
1: Ranger, yeah.
0: I don't get it then.
2: I mean, I think I think it was just so that, you know, the, the i i don't know i don't know like he was a bandit or something but
0: he just looks like joe lewis
2: (laughs) like she wouldn't recognize the bottom half of his face he's not superman
0: and they seem to have a past (laughs) you know it's not like he's a stranger we cut to stark's rv pulling into a parking structure stark's assistant hank is about to roll him out of the vehicle when the door is ripped open by a couple of Rees goons here to avenge the attempted assassination of their master I guess the second attempted assassination, because he already got his legs busted for one attempt. Mm -hmm. This is another one now. They punch Hank bloody and throw him through the windshield of the RV, killing him, and then turn their sights on Stark, who crawls helplessly away. One of the goons, Carl, chokes Stark with his own tie and demands a name. I guess the name they're looking for is the name of the billionaire who is paying him to pay assassins to kill their master but Stark knows that he'll be killed either way and refuses to cooperate.
1: Just the name,
0: you fucking cripple.
1: me you it won't save me, you bastard.
0: Carl loses his temper and takes some metal cables and uses one to tie Stark's leg to a concrete column and the other to tie his opposite leg to their car.
2: This is very upsetting.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's called quartering. But well, I feel it like- would
2: be quartering if you also tied two things to his arms yeah. and were taking them in four different directions. This just is just having.
0: <laughs> you can have your Stark,
2: <laughs> but
0: you can't eat him, too. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Actually, wouldn't they be? I guess no, they are. It's not really half, though. It's like, it's still quartering because you're just taking a quarter of them off. It's really only going to take one leg It's only off. going
2: to take yeah. one, and it, the other one's going to stay... Yeah, I suppose. I I don't know. It's also di- kind of disturbing. Everything about this is disturbing. I also it's-
0: think that if you drove away with these metal cables attached, that at most it would take a foot off. Because it would just go down to the ankle. Mm. It wouldn't take the whole leg. But he's also wearing leg braces. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. from the last time they beat him up. So maybe uh, it would take the whole leg because the whole thing is fastened in
2: place. I don't know. Oh, man. Just... Makes your crash hurt. (laughs)
0: Stark screams out in pain as the car tears his leg from his body. We cut to a crappy looking gym and Force 5 are all here even though Ezekiel was never formally invited. Laurie mentions Senator Forrester for the first time, the man feeling pressure from an angry billionaire. Forrester has been asked to take immediate action which is why they've been assembled. I assume Martin wasn't counting himself when he said he needed five men but apparently he was. Oh, never mind. They're waiting on a final guy named Willard. So I guess that makes Force 6?
1: He's psycho. He's alright. I like him. We laugh a lot, me and him.
0: (laughs) I like the relationship between Billy and Willard, even before Willard shows up. He just, like, it sounds like they're fun guys
1: together. But Ezekiel hates him.
0: Right. And that is paid off with just one comment later, and then never touched again. Though it sounds like Willard won't be a part of the full mission. He's their chopper pilot, and step one of the mission is breaking Willard out of prison. Becker calls the gym to inform Martin that Stark has been killed. Becker looks real torn up about it and begs them to go through with the mission anyway. It's like, okay, are are we still getting paid? <laughs> like, what's happening here <laughs> he's
1: now? Because like, he just says, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh, I didn't answer any of my questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in charge?
0: We dissolve to the team stepping off of a seaplane in thick plants at the edge of a lake. If I'm not mistaken, that means one of the team is already pilot enough to fly a seaplane to the prison yep. where they're intending to jailbreak another essential pirate. <laughs> <laughs> they encounter a group of prisoners collecting bamboo and they send Lori out to bend over and tie her shoes in front of the armed guards. Lockjaw and Lori quickly dispose of the guards, one of whom I'm almost certain is the same actor who played the assassin in the opening scene. <laughs> <laughs> they drive back to the prison in the guards' vehicle while observing the blueprints of the prison. Billy, driving the jeep, can speak Spanish and convinces a guard to let them enter the prison in the vehicle. Moving through the prison, a guard spots a bunch of white people in the back and blows a whistle, triggering a massive riot. The team use their fists and bamboo from the back of the truck to beat back all the guards, and Martin sneaks away to find Willard in the Quadra de Locos, or Crazy Block. He sneaks stupidly within reach of all the insane prisoners on his way down the hall and is predictably grabbed. He fights off a prisoner just as Lockjaw comes running in to beat up a guard on Martin's trail. More guards flood the hall, so Martin flips a switch to open all the cells and unleash the crazies on them we see lori slamming big metal gates on various guards and then billy has some vega from street fighter moves yeah jumping on a wall of bars and then hopping and spinning around on the wall while
1: kicking down at the guards below him i thought lori was closing the gate on the same guard <laughs> over like, and over. And like, he, he, like he got through the first door and slam ah but then when she got to the second door he caught up with her a second time and fell for it again i was like this poor it's guy like lori,
0: i think that guy's had enough and also that's not really helping because immediately she lets go of the door and keeps running and it's like the door's just going to slide open slightly and the guy's going to come after you (laughs) and then get caught in the next door ezekiel kicks out the glass of a fire hose case and conducts an impromptu wet t-shirt contest with a crowd of guards lockjaw kicks another guard six feet into the air through a window in slow-mo and it's actually pretty badass when the guards shut off the water to Ezekiel's hose, he starts slapping the shit out of them with the yeah. big metal nozzle. I feel like if this were happening, I would immediately turn the water back on. Like, yeah. I would rather get wet than dead.
1: Yeah. They're definitely killing some of these people, right? Who
0: are presumably innocent people working at a they're prison. Just yeah. Working they're at just,
1: a prison. Yeah.
2: They're doing their jobs.
0: Yeah. The team start a huge fire in a hallway to ensure they won't be followed and continue till they reach Willard's cell. But when they get there, the door to the cell isn't even locked and inside is a cushy bachelor pad with huge couches and a massive television for the time. Willard steps out of a bedroom in his bathrobe, and Martin explains they've got to go now. Hey, we've got to get out of here
1: fast. No, you have to. Why would I?
2: Was he also wearing bath pants?
1: I hope
0: no. so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Billy comes flying around a corner, and he and Willard share a big hug. He's less excited to see Ezekiel, but then excited again for Lockjaw. Eventually, he agrees to join them and leads them to his bed for the best way out. There, they find the Commandant's daughter, Nina, sleeping. He asks if he can please use her as a hostage to leave with his friends and she seems happy to help. Force Six and their fake hostage, still wrapped in a satin sheet, march through the prison on their way out as the Commandant watches from above.
2: I'll be right back, Daddy!
0: As they pass, one of the guards steps on the blanket to reveal Nina's underwear willard is instantly at the man's throat but that's also the commandant's daughter i wouldn't be surprised if this guy gets shot later today
1: yeah and also like they're all kind of like the guards are like kind of like chuckling and impressed with these guys like they just killed like a few of your friends and beat the crap out of you
0: but i saw that girl's underwear that's pretty fun
1: (laughs) best part of my day (laughs) usually it's just dudes wangs all day (laughs)
0: Martin calls Willard back so they can leave as soon as possible. The Commandant nods to a man to open the gate, and the team slip out into the wilderness and back to their seaplane. We cut back to Rees Island, where his goons check in after killing Stark. They've returned empty-handed, having killed the target without learning the money man's name. I'm not sure why it matters so much who paid the assassins, really, unless they're willing to release the billionaire's daughter to stop the flow of killers.
1: Well, I guess if they could figure out which one of the residents is is their target they could move a little bit faster to Maybe. get you know because g- we know that cindy hasn't signed documents so I can, right. we can assume that other people haven't signed over
0: yeah yet that's how they decide who they're calling up re mentions that senator forrester will be arriving on sunday and things should be sorted by then this echoes the events of the jonestown massacre where congressman leo ryan basically performed a wellness check on jim jones compound in guiana to see if the cult had any defectors among them Congressman Ryan would never make it home, and to this day he is still the only congressperson to be assassinated in office. Oh, wow. Cindy Lester meditates in front of the palace until she's joined by the bearded follower, who kneels beside her to ask her thoughts on the group. She thinks she's being tested and speaks only glowingly of the compound and its dear leader. From the bushes, we get an insert of a man photographing the chat. The bearded man asks if she's heard from Sue since her ascension, and she still hasn't. We cut to the incoming helicopter with Force 6 aboard with the senator with them. Just before they touch down, Martin reminds the senator that his new name is Bob Jinx. (laughs) As far as I know, nobody in Force 6 has met with anybody on the island, so I don't know why code names are even required, but it'll kind of make sense later, I guess.
1: And, And why would you come up with a name that's so obviously fake? Bob Jinx.
0: The cult members all come out to greet the visiting senator. They land the chopper on a large platform decorated with a bull's head. Lori, Martin, and Ezekiel step out with the Senator as his entourage, but Billy, Lockjaw, and Willard stay in the chopper. Martin leans back to give Willard a last minute reminder. Make it look very good. You got it. Ree and his goons never question why it should take three men to fly this helicopter, but it doesn't really matter. As soon as they take off, the chopper makes a loud bang and starts to swing around wildly. It dips below a nearby hill where I expected a fireball of a faked crash, but the chopper comes roaring back over the hill, smoking from the tail end now, and lands flat on the grass this time. The crew of the chopper pile out to investigate the unexpected electrical fire. Senator Forrester takes a moment to introduce his aides. Only Martin is going under a fake name, so of course Forrester almost fucks it up.
1: Let me introduce you to my aides. Laurie Brand, J-Janks, uh, Bob Jenks, and Ezekiel Thompson.
0: Ree approves of Ezekiel's biblical moniker.
1: If I had a son, I would call him Ezekiel.
0: Ree's second in command, Carl, relays the electrical fire excuse, and he tells them they'll have to stay with the helicopter, but they'll be provided with supplies here on the hill. Forrester gets a pleasant tour of their pottery wheels and weaving stations. The bearded follower is seated at a loom and takes a suspicious glance at the passing visitors. The aides notice Cindy Lester at another loom.
2: Do you recall the last time? We had to have pilots stay with the aircraft because the aircraft wasn't functioning. To
1: all a good night? That's, that's the one I mm, came okay. up with, yeah. I was, I was thinking the last time we saw a loom, I was like, have we seen a loom? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't recall one before this. They pass the palace on their way to their sleeping quarters, but they're not welcome in the holy building. On the way to the room, Lori asks who the bearded man was that kept looking at them. John Stevens. He's a reporter from New York. He's here to write an expose. Probably. I wonder if he understands the risk he's taking. They're taking some risk here and outing the man when I would expect Ree to have every square inch of this camp bugged. One of the henchmen runs up to Ree almost immediately with John Stevens' true identity.
2: He's not what he claims to be? It's worse
1: than that. Works for a newspaper in New York. Ha ha, so that was bugged.
0: Though they don't make it explicitly clear that he overheard Martin mention it, the fact that literally all the goon knows is exactly what Martin just said is pretty damning evidence. Re enters the auditorium and is immediately hit with a spotlight and confetti as music begins to play, specifically Onward Onward Christian Soldiers. you guys recall the last time we heard people singing Onward Christian Soldiers?
2: Planet of the Apes?
0: No. In God We Trust, Mm. when Marty Feldman and Peter Boyle are driving the church bus to LA.
2: Onward Christian Soldiers, marching on to war.
0: And before that, in M.A.S.H. when they're making fun of Frank Burns and his religiousness.
1: Soldiers, as to war, with the, cross
0: of- the Senator and his aides stand on stage and Senator Forrester is apparently a dummy and legitimately enjoying these festivities.
1: I think you're mistaken about these people, are beautiful.
2: It's
0: like He's not playing a character there, or he wouldn't admit on stage in front of everyone that they think these people are not beautiful.
2: But that beautiful. That There's a
0: few. He says beautiful often.
2: Yeah, he keeps saying beautiful. Beautiful. But it reminds me of the Gustavo Dudamel line from Trolls World Tour. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. That, that's the
0: only word that he says in the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> re many hands on his way to the stage. We cut back to the helicopter team who are mocking a follower left to guard them.
1: He's the messiah. I'm waiting for the day that he performs his first miracle. You should be too. What? Oh, I am. I can't stand the suspense. Amen.
0: Martin dresses in all black to explore the camp and advises Lori to have Ezekiel stay put while she checks the tents for Cindy. Amusingly, we cut to a tent with two topless girls who are spooked by Martin's passing shadow and we just sit there with them for like 15 seconds. (laughs) They just stare at each other in the night. We cut to John Stevens' tent where he's writing his article, but when he hears footsteps coming, he cuts a hole in the back of his tent to escape. Martin intervenes in all black and a ski mask to beat up the guys chasing him. Stevens reaches a locked gate labeled No Admittance, Keep Out. He hops the fence to escape, and only Carl gives the gate a second glance as they run by. He flips a switch to turn on some lights, and Stevens is quickly surrounded and beaten bloody. Martin gets on the roof of the stables, where they are dishing out the punishment, and then follows the group back to the palace. He notices a barricaded door leaving the stables, and suddenly something big bashes against it from the other side, cracking the wooden door in several places. Back in the tent encampment, some of the other girls, including Cindy, discuss whether or not they heard someone screaming. When they decide they didn't, Lori catches Cindy's attention and lures her over for a chat.
1: This was dumb. Yeah. Like, she, it's clear that she's already in too deep-
0: Cindy is immediately suspicious of the senator's aid because apparently they were forewarned of this possibility.
1: We all know you're here to try to pin something on the reverend. All great men are subjected to ridicule. And a man like the reverend happens to be an easy target for character assassination.
0: When Lori brings up Cindy's trust fund and her father, the conversation is basically over. She asks Cindy the favor of not signing any paperwork until things are clear, and she says,
1: I'll do you a favor. If you leave right now, I won't tell anyone you've been here.
0: She says it sarcastically, like, look what a measly favor I'm willing to offer you, but really, it's a huge favor, and I think it represents a direct betrayal of Ree, which is uncharacteristic of her. If she was still fully devoted, she would have turned around and turned Laurie in right here for trying to paint the Reverend as a criminal. Stevens is dragged through the palace gates, and we see Martin come hopping over the palace walls. Martin picks a lock outside, and we cut to Stevens with the same needles in his neck being tortured for information. They ask him who was with him while he ran from Ree's men. Unfortunately for Stevens, he literally didn't know Martin was there protecting him in the dark, so he can't give a name.
2: I don't understand these needles and how they work because they're like really thin. They're like acupuncture needles. Like you barely feel them. But But if you're
0: precise enough with them, you can hit a nerve center that just is the worst pain imaginable
2: yes it just feels like he's tickling this tiny needle in him. like that could possibly cause enough pain to make mm-hmm. him talk no, but it
1: is well I, th- I think the implication is just that he's such a master of nerves and torture that he can find these seemingly uh unimportant parts to stick a tiny needle in that would cause you excruciating pain
0: and it is a little disturbing that when both of these guys are under the effect of the of the painful needle that they're in so much pain that they can't even scream out like they they open their mouths wide but you're just hearing this weird like croaking coming from their throats they can't even talk he literally has to pull the needle back so that they can answer his questions i have to assume the reason we don't blatantly see the goons eavesdropping on martin earlier is so that it doesn't look like martin is the sole reason that stevens was caught and then tortured
1: who is he i'm
0: alone Typically when someone is tortured to this extreme and they don't have an answer to give, they'll start making things up to get out of it, but Stevens has no such instinct. Continuing to explore the palace rooms, Martin finds a laboratory with baking trays overflowing in white powder. He dips his finger in for a lick, and the twinkling on the soundtrack suggests that this is some particularly potent powdered sugar.
1: I was going to say fun dip.
0: Oh, that works too. Martin nods approvingly. (laughs) Stevens is unstrapped from the torture table and released into the concrete hallway maze. He runs around for a while aimlessly, and then we see a gate open to release a bull into the hallway, making this a classic labyrinth trap. I think mythologically the first labyrinth was made to trap a minotaur, who was incapable of navigating a way out. This is why Manny the Minotaur from Monster High has a labyrinth printed on his shirt. Back when I was writing for that show we wrote an episode where manny gets trapped in a corn maze but the creators rewrote it to imply that minotaurs are traditionally great at solving mazes which is the opposite of true they also changed our episode title from corn on the macabre to field of screams (laughs) which is dumb like kids don't know the word macabre but they remember field of
1: dreams (laughs) i also don't understand this labyrinth in the sense that they seem to store just large barrels of fuel right yeah and, and i was like the moment i saw the first one i was like well that's the first thing i would do i would just dump the fuel light it on fire somehow and then just burn this whole compound to the ground
0: yeah. stevens continues walking through the same sections of the concrete maze over and over until the bull finds him and gores him against the wall <laughs> martin still exploring finds a room full of guns and crates He's spotted by two guards and beats them up before they can sound a compound-wide alarm. The next morning, the four defeated guards are lined up in front of Ree sitting in a chair and changing his slippers like a sadistic Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> the new pair have little pizza-cutter spurs on them. <laughs> Everyone else backs away, and the guards are instructed to fight Ree four-on-one. Ree kicks the shit out of everybody, slashing up their faces and necks with his foot blade. We cut back to the senator's quarters where Forrester is enjoying another in a long line of drinks. Seemingly a jab at Senator Ted Kennedy and his fondness for spirits. Martin brings them a pad of paper, fearing microphones in the room, finally, and writes, drugs and guns. The guns probably for sale to terrorist group. The senator writes, where did you find this? And I hope he felt stupid right after, because he obviously found it in the forbidden building, (laughs) dum-dum. Here. (laughs) In my luggage. They're trying to frame me, Senator. Martin bothers to write back warehouse below palace like it wasn't a dumb question. Re hops on the compound PA to announce the break-in last night and ask for any tips as to who might have been responsible.
1: If any one of you observe an unauthorized person out on the grounds last night, please contact me as quickly as possible.
0: This is opportunity number two for Cindy to mention that Lori tried to talk her out of the cult and potentially be rewarded, but again her faith fails her. Despite this, a pair of Rees men approach her to announce that she's being called up to the palace. Her time has finally come. Before leaving, she asks where John went, but they claim not to know. She is congratulated multiple times on her way to the palace. Ezekiel sees them take her inside and informs Martin. Forrester is plastered in his room now. Martin tells the senator it's time to sober up and tell Ree that we're leaving, and I'll get Cindy to the beach in time for takeoff, however possible. Cindy is assigned a desk in the palace, and she quickly learns that even a dream job is a job. She can't keep the disappointment out of her voice that the palace is actually pretty shitty on the inside.
2: I just expected high windows and all that.
1: This is but an office to conduct church affairs. Mundane and efficient. She's
0: instructed to sign the paperwork that will turn her inheritance over to the church in exchange for providing food and shelter in perpetuity. Is it possible to sign over inheritance before you have inherited
1: it? Well, I mean, it's a trust fund, so it's it's money that is, it exists because the father put it there.
0: Right, but I was under the impression that Cindy's father is still alive. Right. So if he found out his daughter signed away her inheritance to a cult, can't he just remove her inheritance from his will? Or from...
1: Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 this is like the same issue with the Dark Knight Rises when bain takes over a stock marketplace and does all these illegal trades like no trading would be suspended yeah you this wouldn't happen
0: cindy signs the paper against lori's advice as she is excused from the office carl returns with the facts about bob jinks under a photo of martin it reads jim martin is an agent for various governments and private organizations he is not senator forrester's aide. all those with forrester should be considered suspect we'll identify others as soon as possible as per your request it's weird that they're having a harder time identifying the people who use their own names. Yeah. No clue where this info is coming from, so I guess it's possible this is the same source who identified John Stevens for them without Martin's earlier comments.
1: Which is frightening. That means that they have people in places.
0: I mean, presumably they have intel. They have a yeah. lot of money to work with.
1: Right, but they have people in high places, and and even the outcome of this movie does not remove those people.
0: Yeah. Re-commands that none of them will be allowed to leave the island, which is exactly what Jim Jones did in Guyana replans an intentional helicopter crash that will kill them all on her way out of the palace cindy comes to a locked door and then instead of turning toward the proper exit accidentally enters an unrefrigerated morgue <laughs> overflowing with corpses and body bags
1: it's like they left sue's body in the maze
0: right nobody went to go retrieve it yeah but they went and got the other guy from the same <laughs> yeah, hall they
1: went to go get his body and of all the doors to lock you lock the room full of dead bodies yeah
0: that would make sense right she opens one of the bags to find the missing john and backs out of the room terrified i think it might have been more powerful if it was sue though like the person who she knew better and never suspected of anything ezekiel tells willard that they'll be leaving soon but a team of Rees men inform them that none of them are welcome in the compound anymore and they have to wait with the helicopter for now cindy has to hide her tears to escape the palace safely the drunken senator tells a bunch of guards that he must be on his way, and they say, that's fine, just say goodbye to Ree on your way. Cindy runs to Lori's room in the dormitory to tell her that she's found Stephen's body in the palace. Lori tells Martin, and he promises Cindy that they'll all leave together as soon as possible. Unfortunately, Martin soon learns that the senator was taken to the palace. Rhee is holding the senator hostage to keep the rest of the people here. But they should just take Cindy and bounce! Nobody gives yeah. a shit about this senator.
1: Uh, I, I do like the senator's final meeting with Ree when he drops the bottle. Yeah. And it's like, ah, shit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if they left without the senator, though, the billionaire would just be like, congratulations on saving my daughter, Martin. You are the new senator. Yeah. Here's all the money you need. The senator is so drunk meeting Ree that he drops an entire liquor bottle on both their shoes. Lori runs to the chopper and says it's time to get moving. Willard starts up the bird, and the team beats all the surrounding guards unconscious. Many are kicked and lifted into the air, but disappointingly, none come in contact with the propeller blades. Martin hops the wall into the palace again and quickly beats up three guards. The chopper is set down inside the palace walls, and the team piles into the courtyard to just destroy any of Rhi's men who show up. Ezekiel gets to throw another Ninja Star of David off his necklace, one unfortunate guard finds himself last in line to defend the palace and takes a kick in the face from each member of the team until billy has mercy on him and lets the guy collapse on the ground
2: <laughs> it's an awkwardly long shot yeah. though, like because it's a single take where they each come up to him and do their thing and then run away And it's yeah. like oh god just stop please
0: <laughs> now they're fighting in the warehouse under the palace and ezekiel interrupts a fight between Lori and a guard by frisbeeing a circular saw blade into the man's chest <laughs>
2: Thanks God for & Decker.
0: Lots of fights follow, and it appears, with the exception of maybe Lori, that every member of the team is actually an extremely well-trained martial artist. And for one particularly impressive scene in a freight elevator, we see Martin spin-kicking people in the face in slow motion, and if it's not making direct contact, then it's the closest pulled kick I've ever seen. But it's really hard to fake this choreography in slow motion. It looks like he's kicking these guys in the head. Lockjaw and Carl duke it out in the drug room, and Carl rips a full jug of water off the water cooler and throws it at the wall where Lockjaw was. I forgot these things were ever glass, Yeah, and it explodes into a million pieces.
1: Hope it's not a deposit bottle.
0: Lockjaw ends the fight by cracking the back of Carl's head against the wall so hard that blood splatters across it. Ree appears ready to face Martin one-on-one, and we get a little back and forth between them that wasn't captured in the VHS release.
1: Your guys are losing out there.
0: No, andy which according to the blu-ray subtitles is Korean for fuck you. <laughs> locks him in the maze and runs away, too chicken shit to fight Martin.
1: Yeah, I I, I like that. like is like this luring like I'm going to fight you over here. Now I'm going to fight you over here and, and now I got bye. you in the maze. <laughs>
0: yeah. As he runs from the bull, Martin knocks over a barrel of gas next to the three other barrels. When the bull follows him, he turns around and tosses a ninja star at the overhead light, which drops sparks in the gas puddle and then ignites the other barrels, and the bull is straight up (laughs) (laughs) bull-sploded. Martin will also likely never hear anything again, because this is a concrete hallway Mm -hmm. with a massive gas explosion right next to him. For some reason, Reed opens the door upon hearing the explosion. He hides amongst the billowing clouds of smoke, popping out here and again to sucker punch Martin and then vanish.
1: I would have just left the door closed and just yeah. let him suffocate yeah. in the maze of smoke. At the very least, you have him trapped.
0: Yeah. Push that button to close the gate to the bull and then put another bull in there.
1: And and show us what the other buttons do. Yeah. We had a whole bunch of other torture buttons. There's got to be
0: a hot hail button in here. Finally, Martin gets the drop on him and a real fight is underway, so Rhee has to cheat again by snagging a pickaxe from a nearby barrel of weapons. He swings it at Martin repeatedly, eventually burying it deep in a wall with a bad swing. Martin takes the opportunity to perform a 10-hit combo on Rhee and then kicks him backward against the pickaxe still lodged in the wall, which stabs him in the back, killing him. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a character stabbed through the back by being shoved against an inanimate pickaxe?
2: my bloody valentine
0: that's right the cold open of that film he pushes the girl against it and busts out of her heart we dissolve right to the senator cindy and four six all saying their goodbyes to the cult apparently the members are all staying here on the island yeah and they matching robes despite the death of their leader
1: they all seem really happy except the one curly haired guy who is super obsessed yeah. having his whole world come crashing down on Poor him right hair. now he's going to be the new carl
2: i hope the senator sends like an like a plane to like pick people up yeah like how are they supposed to get out of here well that's what
0: happened in guiana they brought two full-size planes to bring people back in and so they actually loaded them with a bunch of defectors people who decided while he was there that they wanted mm. to leave and then a couple people pretending to be defectors so that they could whip out guns on the plane and shoot
2: everybody oh jesus
0: The senator addresses this crowd with a lot of platitudes about strength and perseverance, and the crowd is eating it up. You get the impression that a sequel would have dealt with the Forrester character returning to the island to take over the cult, but eventually he's dragged to the helicopter against his will so they can leave. Credits roll over the departing helicopter. It's a thumbs down, Mm. but it was fun. It was fun. Mm. It had fun stuff. Mm. It had good fights. At least these people can actually fight, because we've seen other movies where the people are not fighters. Firecracker specifically, I feel like people didn't know how to fight in that movie. But here, this team actually knew how to fight, which I appreciated. And it's Joe Lewis, so it's a skilled fighter. I don't know. But the story is, you know, a dime a dozen. And I don't know why it's not just the senator's daughter. (laughs) Like, would that have messed up the story at all? If the senator was the one visiting and it was his daughter? Or maybe the senator's here and it's the president's daughter or something? I just don't get why... It had to be some random billionaire's daughter. And the significance of figuring out who the money man is behind it. It's like, don't you guys have a dossier on each person that you trick into coming here? Like, didn't you target this girl? Or did a billionaire's daughter randomly sign up to join your cult?
2: Well, I think that a lot of rich people are there, though. It's what they were saying. Right, but
0: I'm assuming that's because they seek out rich people's children. In which case, they would know who the money person is.
2: Well, could be one of many. Oh, I
0: see what you're saying it could be anyone that's buying these assassins yeah but either way it's like you got a bunch of billionaires who don't like you you took their kids this is gonna keep happening yeah what are we thinking letterboxed wise
2: Mm, it's not good i have it at 84 out of 93
0: and what is that above and below
2: oh it is it's below savage harvest but above tuck everlasting but I don't know. I didn't get to see the Blu-ray of Tuck Everlasting. That might have made a difference.
0: Uh, there, no. is, there is no Blu-ray of Tuck Everlasting, <laughs> and there never will be.
1: Nor should there be. Lost the time. version we watched
0: was the VHS that the family who shot it keeps in their VCR.
1: <laughs> when they the, v- the
0: VCR they edited it on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> back to back. God, I haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> edited on a VCR? Oh, oh yeah. it's a nightmare. Between Two, VCR. two VCRs? That, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my
0: God. We did that in high school for sure richard letterboxed.
1: uh well it's a thumbs down well yeah i I think we all gave a thumbs down immediately uh i have it at 82 but below firecracker okay i would definitely watch firecracker over this
0: i would too uh (laughs) i said that the fighting was worse in firecracker but there were also plenty of other crazy things that happened in firecracker that far outrank this film.
2: Yeah, I have Firecracker four above this, so yeah. There you much go, way more. above. I have <laughs> it two above, above this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh I put Force Five in seventy sixth place, which is just under Back Roads and just above Pinball Summer. Our director here was Robert Klaus. Uh he previously directed Enter the Dragon, Game of Death, Black Belt Jones, and last season Jackie Chan's first American film, Battle Creek Brawl. Later he directs Jim Cotta and China O'Brien one and two. The writer here was Emil Farkas of the screenplay that was adapted into the screenplay. Uh, He also wrote Vendetta, mostly stunt credits in films like The Golden Child and Flowers in the Attic. I don't remember a lot of stunts in that one.
1: Uh, You don't remember when the grandmother just full on like... (laughs) Does a backflip down the
0: stairs. (laughs) Uh, The other writer was George Goldsmith, uh, another screenplay based on a screenplay. He later wrote Children of the Corn. The music here was from William Goldstein, who composes "White Lions" before this and "An Eye for an Eye" later this season. That's the next Chuck Norris actioner. He later composes "Up the Creek" and "Shocker."
1: Yeah, I saw "Shocker" on that is list. Is that a of, good soundtrack? Uh, I don't remember the soundtrack. I just remember the movie. Yeah, and that Mitch Poliggi is the villain. and yeah. it's so weird. West Craven. To, right? Yeah, West yeah. Craven it's so weird to see mitch folie as like this crazy insane criminal yeah. versus his stoic skinner from F, uh fbi leader agent skinner uh on the x-files yeah
0: the cinematographer here was gil hubbs he has mostly tv movies and series including hundreds of murphy browns the editor was bob bring who previously edited where the red fern grows and the shaggy da and the return to Witch mountain Joe Lewis played Jim Martin. He's a fairly famous martial artist referred to as the Muhammad Ali of karate. He's friend and fighting partner of Bruce Lee, who dubbed him the greatest karate fighter of all time. Bong Su Han played Reverend Rhee. He was Master Han in The Trial of Billy Jack. He's Dr. Clan in Kentucky Fried Movie, Fistful of Yen segment. We also saw him last season as the karate master speaking to the crowd of kids in Little Dragons. Sonny Barnes played Lockjaw. Last season, we saw him as Ironhead Johnson in Battle Creek Brawl, and he's later a Western trainer in Gymkata. Richard Norton played Ezekiel. He was Kyo in the Octagon last year. He's Zamir in Gymkata, and more recently, he was the Prime Imperator in Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah.
1: Rev it up for Morton Joe.
0: Yeah. Bob Schott played Carl. He was Thorg in Gymkata. He's Weird Willy in Blood Fist 3 and Jimi Hendrickson in In the Line of Fire. Peter McLean played Senator Forrester. He was Mr. Douglas in Breakin' 2. I think that's the guy trying to demolish the rec center to put up a shopping mall. Amanda Weiss played Cindy Lester. She was Phoebe in Silverado. She's Beth Truss in Better Off Dead. She's Lisa in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and Tina Gray in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Matthew Tobin played Becker. He's back as Jocko in Surf 2, Clay Stork in One Crazy Summer, and Justin in My Girl. Mel Novak played the assassin. He was Stick in Game of Death. He was Tom Horn for us last season. Nope. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) This is Steve McQueen, right? Yeah. He was in Tom Horn for us last season, and later this year he is Tony Montoya in An Eye for an Eye. Not Tony Montana, Tony Montoya. (laughs) Tony Montoya was a quarterback, you idiot. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Patricia Alice Albrecht played Kathy. She was Lucille on the Blue Team in Midnight Madness. She's also the voice of Pizzazz, the lead singer of The Misfits on Gem. Phil Rubenstein was in here somewhere, doesn't have a character name. He shows up again as Gino in The Last American Virgin, Vito Brazzi in They Call Me Bruce, and the Mannequin Factory boss in Mannequin. He's also a director in Elvira Mistress of the Dark. He's not the director. He's a director in that movie. He plays Sikowski in Tango and Cash, and he's Paulus in RoboCop 2. Nora Dini played Mrs. TV in Willy Wonka. She's also Mrs. Stein in Splash, and she showed up in the Gong Show movie last season. Phil Chong was Uncle Benny's bodyguard in Lethal Weapon 4. He also played Viet Cong Garati in The Exterminator, presumably from the opening sequence. Do you remember the guy's head coming off? hmm Stephen L. Meek played Telegram Messenger. This was his only acting credit, but he has lots of assistant editor credits on films like Beaches, Dick Tracy, Rocketeer, Death Becomes Her, Last of the Mohicans, and then mostly animation, Tarzan, Lilo and Stitch, Shrek the 3rd, B-movie, How to Train Your Dragon, Puss in Boots, Secret Life of Pets, Storks and Trolls. Jackie played the 8-year-old Brahma Bull which was famous for a Schlitz malt liquor campaign, which would basically involve someone being introduced to the beverage, liking it, and then ordering a bull, at which point Jackie would dive through a window into the scene.
1: How about a beer? Beer? I want something special. Bull! Oh, bull? Yes, sir, the Schlitz malt liquor bull. Hey Spike, yeah. look at that bottle. It's a special premium brew that's in a class by itself. Wow, what taste! <laughs> yeah. 99 bottles of bull along. If you want to change your pace,
0: I think that's everything for Force 5. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. Join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Zorro the Gay Blade, which IMDB describes like so. Zorro, the legendary swordsman, has passed on his weapon and his sense of duty to his noble son Diego, a dashing swashbuckler like his father. But after an injury sidelines Diego, he is forced to hand the mask over to his twin, Ramon. We leave you now with the trailer for Zorro, the Gay Blade. He's sexy, uh. zany, yeah.
2: sensational. You recognize that famous sign, huh? Oh yes, Senor. It is a number two. No, it's the sign of sorrow. Zorro. That is a little more like it. 20th Century Fox and Melvin Simon Productions present George Hamilton. And George Hamilton as Shadow. <laughs> One destiny. To help the helpless. Two brothers.
0: To befriend the friendless. One legend. To defeat. The
2: feedless. Two color schemes. I thought it helps. Keep Them guessing. Thrill to the magnificent return of the two and only Zorro! What are you waiting for? Here he is! Arrest him, Swing with Zorro, fall with Zorro, and catch a few Z's with Zorro!
1: You're the bravest man i ever met. I'm
2: very impressed with myself, too.
1: Out of the night, out of the past,
2: out of the legend, comes George Hamilton. George Hamilton, Lauren Hutton, Brenda Vaccaro, Ron Liebman, And a cast of peasants in... Zorro! The Gay Blade!